I'm just going to, I just, something funny I, I heard this morning when I'm getting ready and on a Sunday morning I listen to different sermons and Bill Johnson loves, of Bethel loves little jokes and he said this one and so don't blame me, blame Bill. Uh, first woman in space, Houston, we have a problem. What? Never mind. What's the problem? Nothing. Please tell us. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> I thought that was good. I don't know why. I just I thought it was good. You're, no, you're all looking well. That's great. You know, you're looking better than you were last week, I have to say. Her salons are open. Neil's salons are open. You got your, all, all your pruning and pruning, and that's just the men. Um, and, uh, you know, tannins, tanning salons are open, but I do not. I just want to say that has nothing to do with me. This is 100% uh, natural. Uh, tattoo parlors are reopen if anybody really wants to get one of those. Uh, uh, last week we began to talk about how we're exiting lockdown and how there's some things we want to get back to. And the temptation for many of us, you know, will be to rush back to life. You know, Elijah started football on Friday night and rugby on Saturday. And it just feels like already life just is getting a little bit busier. And you know, in some ways I like that. I'm glad to see some sort of normality. But I also am really wanting us to think at the minute about this. Are there some things pre-COVID that God wants us to leave pre-COVID? Because the temptation, because we want normality back, is to grab everything that was normal then and pull it into now. And I really do believe that there are some things that God has wanted to remove over the last year, not to bring back, but to say that was part of your history, but it's not part of your destiny. That was part of there, but it's not going to be part of here. And so I want to just lean into that a little bit this morning in uh, John 15. It's a bit like when you move house, isn't it? You know, we, we have moved a lot over the years. Uh, I think by the time Elijah was six years old, he had lived in six houses. Uh, and so uh, he, he's just, he's, but every time you move, there's some things you discover in the attic or in the wardrobes and you go, we just need to get rid of that. We don't, that is, not, we don't, we don't want that. It's just horrible. We're never going to use it again. We're never going to wear it again. You know, I don't know why we've kept it. There's other things that, you know, you definitely want to bring to your new house. And then there's those things that you go, that's really good. It just doesn't suit where we're going. It just doesn't really fit. Maybe your house, new house is a new style, you know, and, and it just doesn't fit. And it's not that it's bad, it just doesn't fit where you're going. And I think that's something of what God wants to say to us today as we lean into John 15. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. This is Jesus speaking. It is the night before he goes to the cross it's his final words. He's just had the last supper with his disciples. Judas has just cleared off. Judas is on his way to go and sort out the betrayal. And he's walking with the disciples. And I think he's walking down a, a hill or a mountainside. And, and he sees a, 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 a vineyard at the side of the road. And he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be even more fruitful. I love how Jesus used ordinary language. I don't know about you, but when I was at church as a child, I didn't understand a word that was said half the time. You know, uh, the pulpit is not a place for us to show off 
how educated we are. It is a place for us to encourage and exalt Christ and encourage God's people and exalt Christ and to build up the saints. And Jesus did that. Jesus didn't use highfalutin language. He used, he talked about trees. It was an agricultural society. He talked about trees and vines and branches and good fruit and bad fruit and seeds and wheat and weeds. All the stuff that a 10-year-old in that community would have been able to connect to. And I I love that he does that. What he's doing is he's saying, I want this message to be relatable. I want it to be relevant to your life. And I love that he says this. He says, I am the true vine and the father is the gardener. And then in verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches. And today's message is entitled this, how to live a flourishing life. How to live a flourishing life. And I think sometimes in Northern Ireland we don't like titles like that. Because in the church in Northern Ireland very often it's how to live a shrunken life. How to live a small life. How to live a life where you really don't make much impact and you hunker down to Jesus returns or the rapture happens, whatever you believe happens first. You know, it's, it's, uh, we don't like talking about influence and impact and blessing and stuff like that. It's like, let's just, let's just live really small and not just hope that the big bad world doesn't consume us. But do you know what? Jesus' desire for you is to flourish. Jesus' desire for you is to flourish. And we'll see what that looks like. But God created you to flourish. God created you to be fruitful. Remember back when he created Adam and Eve? What's the first thing he said to them? Be fruitful. Be fruitful. I want you to be fruitful. I want it not just to be you two, but I want there to be something produced from you both. There's something about God that he loves it when we're fruitful, when we flourish. And look at what he says. He says, I am the true vine. He says, I am your source of life. The branch without the vine doesn't exist. The vine is the trunk, if you like. Without the trunk, the branch doesn't exist. And Jesus is saying, I am your source. I am your life. I am the one to whom you, from whom you find life. And notice what he says. He says, I am the true vine. And if, if he is the true vine, do you know what that means? There's false vines. If he is the true source of life, that means there's fake, false sources of life and that's our world all that stuff our world offers that says do this and you'll find life do this and you'll find fulfillment do this and you'll find freedom do this and you'll find satisfaction and joy and all of those things the world constantly tells us this is where you find life that is why advertisers advertise that is why on tv we see this lifestyle portrayed it tells us this is life this is life this is life And Jesus would say, no, I am the only true source of life. But the problem with us as humans is this. We get attached to things. I don't know about you, but I get attached to things. And and, and we, good things even, and we, we, we attach ourselves to them and we begin to draw life from them. And they can be really good things. They can be hobbies, they can be sports, they could be family, they could be friendships, they could be all sorts of things. You know, they could even be church. 
that those things actually start to be your source of life and not Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't say the church is the true vine or Christianity is the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. In other words, a flourishing life, a life of fulfillment, a life of abundance, you will only find in me. And like I say, we, we so easily attach ourselves to things. I don't know if you've ever said something like this about anything or anyone. I could never live without. I think we've all said it about someone or something. I love my tech. I like my gadgets. And I remember a number of years ago, we were talking, I was talking with somebody about my iPad and my iPhone and and, and, and this, I mean, we've really, you know, this is an attachment for many of us. And, and, you know, it's got to the stage where Hannah in our youth group on a Sunday night confiscates these when the, the youth come in. And if you'd have seen, like, honestly, you'd have thought she was saying, I want to chop off your arms. They could, like, literally, like, I think some of them are trying to smuggle them in, like, you know, like you would smuggle drugs into a prison or something, like... Um, but she puts them in a box and locks them in the office. Why? Because we've got a bunch of teenagers in there who, they, they don't know how to survive. Parents who have teenagers, you'll know this. They don't know how to survive without this in front of them every minute of the day. And I remember years ago, like a number of years ago, I, I said to someone, I couldn't survive without my iPod and my iPhone. And a few months later, we were down in Malahide for a night at the Grand Hotel Stand. And we went out for dinner for an hour and a half and we came back and our room had been broken into. And they had stolen both our iPhones. They had stolen an iPad. They had stolen an Amazon Kindle. I remember somebody saying, that was going to be a romantic night away. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know how to treat a girl, Cooney. But, uh, but all the stuff that I had said I couldn't live without was all gone. And for the next two or three weeks, I didn't have an iPhone. And you know what? I'm still here. I survived I survived, and actually, you know what? Actually, I'm not going to say I didn't miss it because I did a wee bit. That would, you know, but but I realised that the thing I said I couldn't live without, I could live without. All right. I wonder what that would be for you. You see, we 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 good things, even that God gives us as gifts, we turn into things that actually. They were never meant to be. And we try to draw life from them and we try to find fulfillment and we will never do it because they were never created to give us the fulfillment that only he can give. Jesus says he is the only true vine. He is the only real source of life and he created us to flourish. We were created to flourish. Look at what it says. Look at verse two. Uh, He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. Okay, verse four, no branch can bear fruit by itself. Verse five, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Verse eight, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So we have this progression of no fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Jesus is saying that over time, as you're attached to me, there will be a flourishing in your life. There will be a growth. There will be life. There will be fruit. There, what is this fruit? 
What is this fruit that he's talking about? Some people think it's the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some people think it's people coming to faith in Christ, that the fruit of our Christian lives is people receiving Christ as Savior. People think the fruit, of a, the fruit is good works, doing good deeds in the community, that sort of thing. It's all of that, but do you know what it really is? It's just living a flourishing a Christ-filled life where he fills you and overflows to the world around you. You can't just say it's the fruit of the Spirit or it's doing good deeds because, because non-Christians are kind at times and non-Christians do good deeds at times. So it can't just be that. It is the life of Christ filling me and flowing out of me to the world around me. That is what the fruit is is it is living a flourishing fulfilling productive life and making an impact in the world for Christ you see our little boy Elijah is the fruit of us he's the fruit of Becky and I and and there's always that you know when a baby's born who do the most look like you know and that continues as they get older chains to look more like you now but the reality is that they're like both of you Because they're the fruit of you. And the Bible says this, that when you become a Christian, when you're born again, you have a union with Christ. There is a supernatural union. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. There is a supernatural union. It's a bit like, and this is a a, a silly illustration in some way. When you pour diluted juice into a glass of water, can you separate them again? Now, there's a scientist out there going, well, actually, if you heat the water, to, as I would say, geek away off, okay? But you can't. Why? Because they are completely, there's a union. And when, when we come to Christ, the Bible makes it really clear there's a union. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. And there's this union that can never be separated. But when there's a union, there's fruit. There's fruit that comes from the union. And it does not completely come from Christ. And it does not completely come from me. It comes from the union. It comes from us cooperating together. That's the fruit. It's all of Jesus flowing through all of us. It's the life of the Holy Spirit. And that's why this is a bridge to next week. It's the life of the Holy Spirit flowing through me and impacting the world around me. So that's what the fruit is. That's what we were meant to produce. Our lives are supposed to be productive and fruitful. And if they're not, then there's something wrong. If there is no fruit in our lives, if there's nothing in our lives that that shows that we are united with Christ, there's something wrong. When I was a kid growing up, we had an apple tree in our back garden. How did I know it was an apple tree? Because every year there were apples on it. Now, if my parents had said, we have an apple tree out there, and for 10 years there were no apples on it, either there was something really unhealthy at the, at the core of that apple tree, or it wasn't an apple tree. And if you are a believer, if you're united with Christ, if over time there is no fruit, if there's no Christ-likeness, if there's no transformation, then either there's something unhealthy about your spiritual life or you've never actually fully been connected to Christ. You may have had an emotional experience or put your hand up or went forward at something, but unless you are united with Christ, that union will not produce the fruit 
that we need to see and that the world needs to see. So how do we do that? Two things, and that's, this is all I've got to say today. Two things from this point on. How do we live a fruitful life? How do we live a flourishing life? The first one is this. Remain in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. There's a story about Paddy the lumberjack was out chopping down trees with an axe one day and a salesman's driving past and he pulls up and he says to him, how many trees do you cut down every day? And Paddy says, I cut down 30 trees every day. And the salesman goes to the boot and pulls out this chainsaw and says, do you know if I sold you this, you would be able to cut down 10 times that every day. And Paddy says, how much is it? He says, it's 300 pounds. And he goes, well, 10 times that, that would be great. So he sells him it and Salesman drives off a month later. He's driving past and stops back to see how Paddy's doing. He says, Paddy, how did you get on with the chainsaw? And Paddy's furious. Paddy says, before this, I was cutting down, you know, 20, 30 a day. At the minute, I'm cutting down two a day. And the salesman's like, I don't get this. What's going on? And he says, let me see that thing. And he pulls the cord and the things. And Paddy goes, what's that noise? And a lot of us in the Christian life are like that. We're slogging and we're straining in our own effort to produce fruit. And God is saying, there's a power available. There's a life available. There's something that I have available to you that it's not just all about your striving and straining and pushing and and gritting your teeth and your self-discipline. Because that just doesn't work. I've been a Christian long, long enough to know The trying harder doesn't work. It works for an hour or two or a day or two. Trying harder just doesn't... You do not become a better follower of Christ or a more fruitful follower of Christ by trying harder. Do you know what trying harder is like? (laughs) I'm just going to do this now. Like, here's a... What would you call this? A branch or a stick? Why is it a stick? Because it's not attached to the tree anymore. It was once a branch, but it's not connected to the, the tree, so it's just a stick. Now, I want us all to try really hard. I want us all to focus here. Are you focused? Are you focused? And I want us all to really push hard and let's get some fruit out of this thing, okay? After three. Seriously, some of you, your minds are more powerful than you think. One, two, three. Mm. Okay, so that's not working. So effort doesn't work. So here's, here's the other thing that some of us will try and do if I don't completely... This is where a head mic actually becomes handier or me having sellotape. Like the dude in Blue Peter prepared. Here's one I made earlier. I've now got fruit in the tree. Huh? How's that, folks? Look at that, huh? That's what we do. But what's the problem with that? It's about to fall off. And that's what we do. It's all external. You see, fruit that comes from the inside remains. Fruit that's just attached on. And we go, here's what we do. We go, oh, I need to be more patient. And that person in work, you know the one that I hate? I'm going to be patient with them this week. I'm going to try really hard. And that works until Wednesday afternoon. And they do that thing. You know that thing that they do. And suddenly, 
the banana falls off the tree. The life doesn't come from trying harder. The fruit doesn't flourish and doesn't come from pressure. The fruit comes from the life inside the tree. And here's what happens. The sap, the life, the, the lifeblood of the, the vine, the lifeblood of the tree, it flows through and it flows through the vine and it flows into the branch and then the branch, it pushes out and it fills it and you get a little stub and a little bud and that little bud becomes fruit and it grows that's the, that, that's the secret of the Christian life. The Christian life is not about sticking stuff onto our lives. It's not about pushing really hard. The Christian life is about being intimately and intricately and daily connected to Jesus Christ. It is his power. It is his life flowing into us. Look at verse 4, verse 5, verse 6 and verse 7. Remain in me, I remain in you. Remain in the vine, remain in me. Verse 5, if you remain in me. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me. Verse 7, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Do you notice a word that kept appearing there? I went to clown and even I know that. Okay, it is remain. Remain, 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 remain. That, folks, is the secret of the Christian life. You don't need to go to a conference for that. The secret of the Christian life is that we remain in Jesus. That every day we remain in Jesus. That we're intimately connected to Jesus. That his life is flowing into us and flowing through us. That is, you know what, the, some of you are, will have older versions. You know what you say, abide, remember? Abide in me. That's a good word too. Do you know what abide, that word abide is related to? Abode. And what's your abode? It's your home. In fact, I think the message version says, make your home in me. I love traveling, obviously, but I haven't been able to do it for a while. I love traveling. I love going on holidays, obviously. I love traveling for ministry trips. I, I love traveling, but I love coming home. You know what? I think most of us are the same. We love our week or two away, but there's something lovely about being home. And that's what Jesus is saying. Make your home in me. Why, why, why do you love being home? Because you are most comfortable there. Because you can be yourself there. Because it's just where you can relax. Jesus is saying, I want you to be so united that, that, you're just, that you're more comfortable with me than you are anywhere else. That you're more at home in me than you are anywhere else. That, 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 that you find your joy and your life and your fulfillment and your security and your satisfaction and your identity in me. The Christian life is supposed to be a life of overflow where we stay connected to Christ and he flows into us and then he flows through us. Otherwise, we are just a bunch of do-gooders. We're a bunch of, 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 of uh, what is it they used to call Christians? Good living. We're good living. That is not the Christian life. It is being united with Christ so that all that Christ is becomes united with all that we are and he fills us as we submit and surrender to him and he flows through us. So the first secret of the Christian life is this, that we keep intimately connected to Christ. And the second one is I finish up and I am finishing up. Look at verse two again. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
So the first part of the Christian life is staying attached. The second part of the Christian life is allowing him to remove. Attach, but allowing him to remove. You know, I used to read about pruning, and I used to, I used to think pruning was punishment. That whenever we did something wrong, whenever we sinned, God stepped in like Edward Scissorhands and just went wild and hacked away at us and, and got rid of so much stuff in our lives and, and he was punishing us because he wanted us to step back into line. You know what this doesn't, that's not what this teaches. It says this, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Pruning is a reward for fruitfulness in your life. Pruning, God steps in and prunes when he sees that you actually are bearing fruit. He looks at you and he sees that there's a life starting to flow through you and God looks at your life and he sees your potential. He knows all that he has placed within you because he created you in your mother's womb, Psalm 139. And he knows who you can be and he knows the potential within you, but he knows that there's some things that will hold you back from getting there. That there are some things that you have attached yourself to that will hinder you. And some of them might be good things. Some of them might have been good at one time, but they're not good anymore. And some of them might be bad things. But because we attach ourselves to things, God goes, I see what you can be and I see where you can be, but you can't get there if you won't let go of some things here. My, my first job when I came back from the States after university was, some of you have heard me talk that, about the Japanese company called Canyon I worked for. And, uh, and Mr. Okamura, Mr. Okamura, the, the boss, he didn't speak English, but swore a lot in Japanese. But his interpreter was a missionary, um, which was quite funny. Taught me how to make sticky rice, which is good. Um, but, uh, but, but Mr. Okamura had this thing when you went on a business trip, hand luggage only, which is fine for one night away, just about. A week in Paris, I'm not a hand luggage guy, you know? Like, I'm just not that low maintenance I remember we went to a business conference for six days in Paris, hand luggage only. You're talking a toothbrush, a change of clothes, and undies. I mean, that's, let's just be honest. That's all you can bring with you. And I, I said to my boss who, at the time, I said, come on, like, why does he do that? And he says, he wants to get to his destination as quickly as possible. When he gets off that plane, he wants to get into a taxi. He doesn't want to be stunned at a carousel waiting on bags coming around. You know what? There's something in that. I still don't like it. I don't agree with it. But there's something in that. That God wants us to get to some places. God has plans and purposes for your life. I don't care what age or stage you're at. God still has more for you. But he sees that to get there, if you cling on to all this excess baggage here, it will slow you down, it will hinder you, and it may even stop you. And so what God does two things. The first thing is he will start to challenge you to get rid of it. You'll start to feel convicted. You'll start to feel like, oh, I don't know if this is good anymore. You'll just start to feel uncomfortable around certain things that you used to be quite happy to do. Some of you know what that's like. Used to be things that you would watch on TV five years ago that you wouldn't watch now. Used to be relationships you had five years ago that you wouldn't have now. And he will give you the opportunity to to deal with it. But if you don't, quite often what he will do is he will walk in with the, the pruning shears. And he will cut. 
And that can be painful. It can be like spiritual surgery, I call it. Those of you who have ever had anything removed, maybe a tumor or something, it is painful, but it is necessary. And God will do spiritual surgery to remove things from us that will ultimately harm us, but they are necessary for our spiritual health and growth and development in what lies ahead. The story is told that the Pope once visited Michelangelo in his studio one day and saw him sculpting the, the statue of David that, that Michelangelo did. I think it's in Florence. Um, and the Pope, it was, you know, it was kind of just started and, and the Pope said to Michelangelo, how do you turn that lump of rock into David? And Michelangelo said, I just chip away anything that doesn't look like David. And I think that's what God does with us. He's not reckless but he chips away those things that do not look like what he wants us to look like. He chips away those things that don't look like Christ. He chips away those things that don't look like the potential he has put within us. And there's only three reasons that I'm not, (laughs) some of the guys in church will know I'm not a gardener. That is no secret, okay? I am not a gardener. But there's three reasons that I've discovered. I, I was looking at, I was reading an article about rose bushes. There's three articles, three reasons why people prune. And this is where I will finish. First reason is this, there's too many buds. The bush produces more and more buds and it can sustain. They're all alive and they're all good, but they're not all the best. And so the pruning happens to remove the good ones to keep the best ones. And in life, we go through life and we add, we accumulate. It's just our nature. We buy more clothes before we throw stuff out. We buy more stuff for the home. We join things. We volunteer for tasks. We take on roles. And we, we, we add and we add and we add. And some of those are really, really good things. But here's the thing. We don't subtract. And so what we're doing is we're constantly adding more and more stuff onto our lives until the point where we have no time and no space. And we're involved in 50 things, but we're not really committed to any of them. And we have lots of acquaintances, but we don't have too many friends. And we're keeping adding, 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 adding. That's a bit like what's going on there. And, and sometimes I think what we need to do is this. We need to say, what's good in my life and what's the best in my life? There can be some good things but they're preventing me from really focusing on the best things. Like you could be involved in eight ministries in this church. I don't think too many people are because we don't really encourage that. But I would rather you'd be focused on one or two and do them really well and be reliable and be dependable and be there than be involved in eight different things. But we we, we get, it's like a a shotgun. We're we're scattered everywhere. Uh, And and our efforts really, we're kind of just, half-hearted about everything and God would say I would rather you would do one or two things and be focused on that sometimes we add by subtracting you know I, I'm doing that and I, I'm doing that in my own life right now I'm doing it in relation to ministry you know I, I'm very aware of what I'm good at and what I'm not good at I remember even before I went into ministry and even now I'll hear people talk people talk about ministers okay and they'll complain and they'll say he never does this or they never do this. Can I say to you, the probability is the minister's very aware that they're not good at that. Like it's almost like you, I think you think that we live in this other realm where we're not aware of what we're good at and not good at. 
Like, I am incredibly, anything that you have said Craig doesn't do well or is not good at, can I say to you, I am ten times more aware of it, okay? I just want to get that clear, okay? I am increasingly aware of where, where I, my strengths are and where my weaknesses are. And do you know where my strengths are? Leading and feeding. Leading the church and feeding the church. That's why I do 95% of the, 90% of the preaching in this church. That's what God has called me to. That is what God has gifted me for. That is what he has brought me here to do. I know, believe me guys, I know all the other stuff I'm not good at. Okay? So here's what, when I arrived here, I don't, I don't know how many, 80, 100 people were here. That's great. I mean, you can kind of dip in everything and do everything. We're probably, I don't know, three to 400 now. I, that's impossible. It's not sustainable and it's not healthy. Therefore, what I have to do at this point is go, where are the things that God has called me to and what do I need to find other people to do? Because if I try to do all the other things, guys, I'll not be here in two years because I'll be burnt out. And I need to find people who, who love doing them, are gifted and called to do them, but hate doing this, <laughs> which is a lot more people. And so I am very aware, and so I'm having to go, where do I bring value? What does God call? And I think we all have to do that at some point in our lives. We have to go, you know what, God, I could do 10 things, but what's the thing you have called me to do? Where do I really make an impact? What's the one thing, ministry, community thing, whatever it is, that, what's the relationships that actually are most fruitful in my life? Instead of meeting up with 14 people a week, you know, for coffee, what's the three relationships that either I can really bring life or they bring life or there's something? There's too many buds and it needs pruned. The second one is this. There are some branches of buds that are sick and not going to get well. And that's a tough one. This is where you've done everything you can to improve something or someone and it's just not changing. We have all had that person in our lives that we have wanted them to get better more than they have wanted to get better. If you haven't, just live a few more years, okay? Haven't, have we? You, they, they were dysfunctional in some way, maybe they were addicted, maybe... They were in some self-destructive path and you really wanted them to get better because you could see the potential. And the problem was you wanted them to get better more than they wanted to. And so they one step forward, two steps back. And I'm not saying we don't help people, but I'm saying there comes a point in every relationship. I said this to somebody a while ago. They were trying to reconcile a relationship that wasn't working. I said, you can't play tennis by yourself. Otherwise you're just hitting it off a wall. And there comes a point when you have put everything you can into something. It could be a business, it could be a relationship, it could be a ministry, it could be something. But you just go, you know what, I've poured way too much into this and I'm not getting anything back. And it is draining the life out of me and I just need to walk away from it. And the third thing is this, there are some buds that are already dead and just taking up space. And they need to be taken out of the way so that the rest can thrive because they're creating shade. They're, 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 they're just dead and they're not bringing anything. They're blocking light. They're taking up space. And if we're being really honest, there are some things in our lives, and this is where we kind of started. There are some things in our lives that are now dead, that over the last 12 months have died. But you know what the temptation will be now to resurrect them? 
Just because we serve a God who can resurrect the dead doesn't mean he doesn't want some things dead. And there are some things that we did week after week after week after week in 2019 and at the start of 2020 that he does not want you to do in June or May 2021. Let it die. Keep it dead. Stop giving it CPR. There are some relationships, some friendships back there that were draining the life out of you, but you were meeting them every week because that's what you did and you were too chicken not to. It's just let it die. Let that thing die. Don't let them die. Let them. Let the, let, but just, just, just don't feel the need. You know, I was talking to some parents last week and they have three or four kids and they were like, we had our kids out at activities every night and they're all different ages. So it was all, so our house every night was, you know, who's going to pick them up here? Who's going to bring them? And they said, we, we just don't want to go back to that. I understand that. There are some things that you just need to let die. There are some things that you've just got to go, that is a corpse and I am not going to resurrect it. You know, the Bible says this in Colossians 3, 5, put to death. Ephesians 4, put off your old self to be made new. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls on the ground, it uh, it can't produce fruit. But we hold on to things because of fear. But Jesus would say to you today, I understand that, but I will meet you in that place of fear. I'm having to fly through this last, but I will meet you in that place of fear of the unknown, fear of letting go, fear of hurting the other person, fear of confrontation, fear of the pain that not having that thing in your life will bring, fear that you don't have the skills to do the new thing I'm calling you to, fear from past mistakes you've made, fear of leaving a relationship and not meeting somebody else. God knows your fears. He knows them and trusts him. But here's the thing. God is intimately involved in your life. You see, Jesus could have said, the father is the owner of the vineyard. But he said, no, he's the gardener. And the difference between a gardener and an owner is this. The owner can stand at a distance, but the gardener's hands on. And what he is saying is this, that the Father is hands-on in your life. And the gardener is never more close to the vine as when he is pruning it. And I want you to know that as God brings you into this season and he asks you to release and to relinquish some things so that you can receive what he has, he is intimately and intricately involved in your life and he is close to you. And that gives you the confidence to do what he's asking. There will be fear. There's always fear about letting go and doing something new. Always. But if he is intricately and intimately close to you and cares about you and knows the details and is asking you to do something, I want you to tell you, I want to tell you, he will bring you through it. You know, today, five years ago, we... We, we stood at the front of a church in Dublin and announced we were leaving on this day five years ago. And I remember Becky and I standing there and announcing that we felt God was calling us to move on after five years. And people were saying, where are you going? And we don't know. Well, have you got jobs? No. Have you got a house? No. And they thought we were completely mad. But we knew God had called us to let it go. This thing that we'd poured ourselves into for five years, God had said, let it go. 
And I remember we got in our week 10-year-old one series, which is now 16 years old. And, uh, and we dr- were driving up the M1 and we got to Antrim Hospital area and smoke started coming out and the clutch had gone and the smell of fever. And we had to get tow truck and our, Elijah was three. He was in the back and he was just thrown. And I just, I remember all the fear that came in in that moment of what have we done? We've just driven away, and this clutch is a thousand pounds to fix. You know, what I mean? like that's, there's just those moments where you're like, "What have, has, have we done the wrong thing?" But funny, I, I was with my, one of my best friends on Friday, and I was just reflecting on it with him, and I said, "You know what? These last five years have probably been the happiest five years of my life. These last five years have been the five years where I have seen and experienced God's care." and God's attention, and God's leading, and God's direction, and God's blessing, and God's favor, more than the 25 years I've been a Christian before now. And I'm not saying it's all easy, and I'm not saying there haven't been hard times. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that when God calls you to let go of something, he doesn't leave you to do it. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't say, away you go and get on with it. He says, I will go with you. And if you will let go of that in response to me and in obedience to me, there is a fruitfulness and a fulfillment that I want to lavish on your life. But you must leave that back.